say it and you hear it here first and I don't want to be first, but Aaron Boone's going to get fired and that's going to suck because none of this is his fault. And every player in Yankee pinstripes that no, and these guys know Aaron and I promise you they care very deeply about this guy. He's the kind of guy that warrants that kind of emotion. Every one of them should feel like crap because it's their fault he's going to get fired. Period. There, th- th- you couldn't ask for a better, more calming influence. I guarantee you there's no panic in his voice. Um, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but as a player, it always felt like Yankee fans wanted to see panic when they were losing. They didn't just want to panic. They wanted the organization to panic, right? You you heard, I think, earlier, uh, what was it, last show, didn't we? John, we were talking about last show, uh, uh, trade judge, trade Cole, blow it up. And it's like, no, number one. Um, and you almost can't, number two. So if you can't fire the players and firing anybody else would be meaningless to the field uh, results, you got to fire the manager, the coaching staff. And unfortunately, I think that we're about to see that. And that's that sucks because it's not his fault. And I'm telling you, Yankee fans, you're going to regret this because he's going to go somewhere else and win a whole lot of games. This guy's as good as they come as a human being. And these players, you know, the part of me feels like there's a potential that they're trying too hard, pressing too much. Um, because I, I think of them as some good guys as players and they want to succeed for this guy. Um, he's just, he's just that kind of guy. There's Kurt Schilling on the most recent Kurt Schilling baseball show available at outkick.com. Welcome back. The final hour, just like that here. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. And Kurt Schilling joins us as we kick off the final hour. Kurt, good to see you. Uh, love the podcast. And I- I'm Thank curious you. from this angle, if the players really don't want to see this happen, could Aaron Judge save his job by just speaking and saying, he needs to be our manager, he should Absolutely. not be fired? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because, uh, a lot of, a lot of times managerial firings are due to fan intervention, calling for the head of the manager and all the things that, that they do, uh, because they can sit back after a seven game week and say, oh my God, I can't believe you bunted here. And I can't believe you changed pitchers there. Uh, none of those comments, none of those questions ever happens when, when they win. And, uh, you know, this is a, a, a like I said, it's a situation where you're not going to fire him and bring in a better guy. You're not going to fire him and bring in somebody who the players care about more. I again, I've been in the locker room. I know how I know what kind of people work in the locker room. And this is a guy that works. They're they're just playing bad. They've had injuries. Yes, absolutely. Um, but they played bad. And unfortunately, that's not enough for some people. Um, you know, I, I say it often on the show, you know, guys going in slumps and, and all the things to go with that. Uh, it's, a, it's hard. It's a hard game. And, and sometimes it doesn't work out. And, uh, you know, there's this, like I said, it, I'll, I'll give the, the Angels are a great example. The Angels went in at the deadline, right? Everybody yeah. thought that they were going to be sellers. They went in. They couldn't win a game after the deadline. Is that the manager's fault before the deadline and 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 not after the deadline or vice versa? Or is it the player's fault? Players they got didn't come through. When you and 
God. So sorry, sorry, Kurt. I was going to say when you look at the core of that that Yankees leadership group, you know, led, led by Aaron Judge, do they have what it takes to bounce back from this season and what we've Not seen? This season. Not this season, no. But yes, next year, absolutely. There, that's an enormously talented team. I, Giancarlo Stanton was hitting one ninety nine, I think, yesterday. Two seventy five on base percentage. That you're not getting there with him hitting one ninety nine. You're not getting there with this kid Volpe at shortstop, who who, you know, he's not hitting the way they wanted to hit. Certainly, probably playing, you know, as well as they could ask. But uh, New York requires different things from players and managers than other places. Um, and when you don't get them, uh, it's magnified. In addition to probably having some of the worst media in sports who, uh, you know, I always say on the, uh, we talk about this on the show in New York, Philadelphia, um, Boston, uh, you have to play three games a day. You have to play the pregame media. You have to play the game and then you have to play the postgame media every day. There's three games. And uh, so you have to go three and zero every day, or else the next day is, can you believe what so and so said? And hey, this guy said he doesn't want to be here. And hey, this guy said that, you know, um, and that that can wear. And when you're not winning, I, I it's it's a nightmare. I played for quite a bit of time in Philadelphia, uh, and we stunk. And uh, there was always that three game set every day, and it gets tiring. Kurt Schilling with us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. You can check out the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show at Outkick.com. Uh, hang with me here on on because I'm going to play into uh, what's on your shirt. Uh, you identify as conspiracy theorist. Uh, <laughs> does does what's going on with the roster with the Yankees right now kill any idea of Major League Baseball juicing the baseballs uh, that they they took away the spider tack to get runs up and homers out of the park? If any team should be raking. And, and magnify the fact that the homers are back. It should be this lineup. And you just mentioned some of the batting averages that are just pathetic compared to a year ago. Doesn't this debunk any of that? Uh, sure. And, and yes. Uh, and also, I can tell you, uh, you know, they always talked about, uh, if you listen to history, people, people on, that have been in combat talk about fear uh, is a contagion on the battlefield. And it spreads like wildfire. Uh Lack of success does the same thing. I mean, you guys know as fan, fans are always this way, uh, and I find it funny because I would in my head I would play it through. You know how many times a night somebody on the bench goes, "Here we go again, mm. here we go again," and you know if the players are doing it, the fans are in the stands doing it five hitters earlier, and they're booing, and and they have a right to boo, uh, and that's part of the game, and. Um, if you did, I, I, I gotta tell you, I, if you didn't have a stronger manager and stronger leadership in, the, in this clubhouse, that would be a complete crap show in the newspapers in, in New York. And it's not that it's not that, that, that you're not hearing the bickering and the backfighting and the fighting, all the things to go with that, uh, is a testament to, to some of the leadership. I know that doesn't help the fans cause they still stink and they're not going to make the playoffs and they, they might have the, a losing record for the first time in you know, three decades, boo-hoo, Yankee fans, get over it. <laughs> right. um, it's just the way it is. And, and you know, not everything, you know, athletes, uh, I think at a professional level, um, the good ones, and there's a lot of good ones there, they have a way that, and, and I, I believe I had a, I could will myself out of things. I could find a way, you know, for me, 
one of the things as a starting pitcher was, you know, I was a stopper in a sense. If we were on a losing streak, I wasn't gonna, I was gonna stop it. And you had you had guys who who uh who would take it personally and take it on the field and fix it. Um and, and sometimes again, sometimes it just doesn't work. Uh uh, and you know, one of the challenges I think. Uh, and, and probably to their advantage is that the unbalanced schedule this year, the balanced schedule this year has seen them play less games in the division, which you would think would lead to more wins. And it's done the opposite. Mm. So, you know, all the all the data points to the players have just played bad. There's no, you know, and they again, they have had injuries. Everybody has them, and sure. that's not an excuse. But I promise you, Aaron's not sitting in there saying, you know, gosh, if we had these guys, we'd be better or anything like that. He's not He's not towing that line. And and like I said, I, I've known him for a long, long time. And there are a couple of guys I've always felt as managers that you're not going to do better. Because now the game's changed dramatically. This is not about the manager knowing when to hit and run or bun a guy over or any of those things. This is a personality contest, managing people. You, you, that is what a manager in the big leagues job is to do, which I think is one of the reasons why so many you've seen uh, uh, an aversion to old school managers because the GMs have saber metrics. They want to tell managers how to manage. And I think there's less of that going on in New York than, than in other places. But um, you know, it, 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 it sometimes life is is actually Occam's razor, right? It's the the simplest explanation is that they just suck and they're not playing well. And you know, I know that again, that doesn't help anybody. And for what they charge to go to a game, and for what Yankee season ticket holders pay for luxury boxes, they you know, short of throwing bananas on the field, they have every right to to, to act out in every possible way. And Here's the thing. If this team stayed together, not a player moved, and the deadline next year, they were seven games in front of, of the division, no one would be surprised. Right. Be like, oh, that's yeah. what they're supposed to be, right? Absolutely. So, so, right, and so this is where it comes in. You know, the guy, it, I, I just don't see how, with all of these things stacking up, Aaron survives. I hope he does. Um, But, you know, is Cashman the guy to go? He's the guy that gave him the roster. Uh, somebody's going to get fired. I, I just, I mean, it's just, it's a Steinbrenner thing, right? I mean, yeah. uh, their dad's legacy was, it was happened by now. Oh, absolutely. I, I again, I don't know because he was, while he was that guy, he was also a guy who was smart enough to understand the, the, the landscape with which he was playing in. It's a different game now. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm not sure because if you bring in a new manager next year, you have to go through that whole courting process. He has to get with the media and he has to get the okay from the media and the media has to buy in and all of these things outside of, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe those questions are, are what you do to alleviate the next spring training is you guys suck last year. What's going to change? Kurt, so. uh, you were, you were one of the great starting pitchers. John Smoltz was also a great starting pitcher. Uh, listening to him talk about the Braves on the Fox broadcast about a week ago, uh, he said something that jumped out to me that I wanted to ask you about. You know, he said it wasn't going to take a lot of good fortune for this team to be a playoff team. But when you're this good, when your lineup is this good, you're going to get lucky along the way. And the example he brought up was there's no way the Braves could have known that Orlando Arcia was going to start in the All-Star game when they let Dansby Swanson walk. You, right. you expect to have a drop-off at shortstop when that happens. 
And those are the types of things that click to take you from really good to possibly great. When you watch this Braves team, do you think great with this lineup and what they're doing? Well, here's the thing. I, I, I always, I don't, I think 2002 was the last time I saw a team hit its way to a world series trophy. The, the Los Angeles angels in 2002 slug slugged their way to a world championship. I don't think it's happened since for the most part, I don't look at a lineup going into the playoffs for the most part. I look at the starting pitching. I look at that because it, in the big leagues, in the playoffs, you go from 11 to 13 man staff to about a seven man staff, right? You have relievers. You don't throw, you have starters. You don't start. And and generally you'll swap a pitcher or two out for a pinch runner kind of guy or a pinch hitter kind of guy. I look at the top three starters and the top four relievers. And it, and and John Smoltz is the perfect example. When you go back to the 90 Braves, they've made the playoffs for 15 straight years. They won one World Series. Why is that? Was it because they're off? They always had a good offense. If you remember, you know, they brought in McGriff and Justice and they brought up Klesko and all these guys. It was because Smoltz was the only swing and miss pitcher in their starting rotation. Look at Maddox and Glavin. I mean, they're Hall of Famers for sure. They didn't scare us in October. They weren't because they they didn't make you swing and miss, and at bats are different in October. Smoltz, look at his record. He did. The Braves have, I think, three swing and miss starters now. Three guys who could go out and, you know, the starter that can win a game on his own. The starter that can go seven and two-thirds, punch out 12, give up two hits and no runs, and have it be, yeah, okay, that's that's his that's his game. Um, and then everybody in everybody's bullpen is a throw. Everybody throws a hundred now. So you don't have any, any, you know, lefty on lefty guys. You have a bunch of throwers in the bullpen, which is why I think you'll see in the in now and in the future, you'll see more late inning heroic home runs and stuff like that, because so few pitchers exist in major league bullpens. Now it's all about throwing as hard as you can throw. And last year watching the postseason, it was a, a ripe example of that. But but I look at them, and yes, I love uh, you know Acuna's a generational talent. Um, my God, almost potentially a 50-50 guy. Um, and uh, you know, CS is as, as you said, um, but I don't look at because those guys get game planned for way harder and way better and way more. They don't face the number four or five in October, right? You don't see anybody's fifth starter, you don't see anybody's 13th pitcher. You see starters one to three, and you see uh, uh, three or four or five at most arms who pitch in the postseason. So uh, I look at them as a, an October threat. And, yes, you're right. They they got lucky in a sense. I don't look at that as luck, just like I don't look at the Orioles as luck. They scouted and drafted like they always do. They draft and scout like the Cardinals have always done. They draft Guys that come to the big leagues, and the, they're baseball players. They have that sixth tool. That, that sabermetricians cannot identify and despise being called out because it exists and it's real. And, and you know, all the guys that come to the big leagues with the Braves, and they, they've done it for, gosh, three or four decades. Their, their d- ability to work a, bit, a pitcher into the big leagues and get him into the rotation is second to none. They always bring up huge quality arms, and these guys are always dominant, potentially dominant starters as young players. Kurt Schilling has been our guest. Kurt, I want to ask you a follow-up. You mentioned the Orioles, but we don't have time. I don't want you to get cut, cut off on a, on a hard break that we have scheduled here. I, I want to table this, and I'm going to hit it hard tomorrow. I agree with you that the Orioles are legit. The problem is I don't think they're like the Braves. They're not going to win it because their owner won't shut the Absolutely. hell up and allow them to just go win instead of talking well, about I, the future. And it, it yep, just... get, your, get your guy with his finger on the bleeper. The, the, the Angelos comment the other day about we can't win unless we raise prices massively is complete bullshit. 
Yeah, and it's a huge distraction. And it, yep. that, that is why the, the owner will be the reason that they Absolutely. don't get it done, not the young stars. The ownership is the reason they suck for two decades, and the ownership is going to be the reason they don't have a consistently winning team going forward if they don't spend. Kurt Schilling has been our guest, host of the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show. Outkick.com is where you can find that. Kurt, it's always great, man. We love these discussions. Can't wait for the next one. Look forward to it, guys. Thanks, have Kurt. a great week. You too. Appreciate it. You too. Kurt Schilling there. He's right. I mean, I, everyone knows it except for Angelos himself. They're ruining what has been a great season. They're the 180-degree turn from the A's, but ownership is virtually the exact same in terms of distraction and not really caring. Football discussion next. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Honey Withrow across the Outkick Network. Our thanks to Lou Holtz, John McClain, and Kurt Schilling for joining us throughout the show. If you missed portions of that, you can find it on demand wherever you download your podcasts. Also, just by going to the YouTube channel, searching Outkick. Hit subscribe while you're there if you like the content, and we hope you'll check out the show, portions that you missed, or live each and every day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Mike Renner. Uh, was a fantastic guest throughout the draft of this past April leading up to what was pure craziness, as usual. And uh, now he joins us in studio. Uh, Nashvilleian, Mike? Yes, recently. Two weeks here. Love it, Welcome. Man. Absolutely Welcome. loving it. What do you Welcome think? to our town. What do you think of Music City? Oh, I mean, it truly is a different place than like anywhere else in America. And everything that's different about it, I I'm a fan of. So, yeah, big fan already. On the screen right now, it says Mike Renner. The Messenger. This is not just a nickname. This is... Uh, that would be a great nickname, yeah. by the way. The, the Messenger, Mike Renner. Very biblical. As I haven't actually fully announced it yet, but I have been working with The Messenger for a month. We're launching our sports section in a couple of weeks, so please be on the lookout for that. We have some big things planned on the football side of things. In the meantime, at Mike Renner underscore is where you can follow him on social. Some uh, fans of the, the Bachelorette may remember Mike. <laughs> uh, they they from, probably won't, From actually. season 14, uh, eliminated in week three, but what you could never forget is this beautiful <laughs> mane. Of hair that Mike had uh, on the show. I actually Mike, threw I've that only, out I've only, because of Tim Riggins. Yeah, that, was, that was the oh, reason okay. why I, I was, uh, and I have a dog named Riggins. So I was a big fan of Friday Night Lights. Well, that's I what I was going to ask you because you actually have a profile at the Bachelor uh, wiki page for, for fandom. <laughs> oh, wow. Just tell me if these things are true about you. You mentioned your Bulldog Riggins, which mm -hmm. I love the Friday Night Lights reference. Mike loves festivals, horse races, and state fairs. Are all of these things true? Uh, so they, I mean, they are. I, I do, but they had you fill out a questionnaire. Like I, I thought it was just, and like this was well before I even got on the show. Like when I'm just like applying to be on the show, they fill out a questionnaire, and I just offhandedly wrote some dumb stuff down. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it like pops up on the screen, and that's like below my name. And I'm like, man, I've I've been to like two festivals in my life. Like but I, so, I mean, but you had to actually answer the question with, like, what are your favorite things or events with festivals and state yeah. fairs? It wasn't like a trick thing where it was, do you like uh, corn dogs at the state fair? And no, if you check no, yes no. or no, I actually just then they said could it. put that in the show. But I, I probably listed, like, 15 things, and that's what they picked out of it. Amazing. How long ago was this? That was five years ago, 2018. What do you have in, in return for being on that show? Um, gosh. Besides no, the wiki it. page for yeah, Bachelorette fans. Mem memories. I, I mean, they don't pay you to go on that. They they at least like pay for all your expenses while you're there and fly you out. But 
just memories. Uh, I, I don't actually keep in touch with too many of the guys, but one of the guys, Jason Tartik, also lives in Nashville, and I ran into him the other day. So kind of a wild coincidence. How many girls party with you guys after the cameras stop rolling? Uh, zero. It's all producers there. It really is a lot of dudes. Like, it, And you don't have any communication See, with the outside the world. with the one girl. So he that's didn't get I mean. all the girls. No, yeah. that, that, that's what I mean. It was like, during it, free agency. Do they so. bring do others show up? You know, friends of the of the Bachelorette. No, friends. they try to keep it as as there for the right reasons as possible. All an all male staff as well. No, there's there's female producers, <laughs> okay. but uh, but they really don't interact. They try to like keep it separated. You try to make you like they're not even there, but they're like there's like thirty of them behind the camera anytime you're talking to someone. Yeah, uh, more enjoyable that or covering the NFL draft. Oh, covering the NFL draft, <laughs> hands down. Like, yeah. It truly wasn't like that enjoyable while you're there because there's nothing to do unless you're on a date like doing the event. You're just sitting around in a house with 30 guys. You know, it's not it's not the best feeling in the world. It's like uh, in the studio right now, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, so every day for us. Yeah, talking yeah. ball. Hey, uh, so we're basically on the Bachelorette. Is what I'm hearing it. from this. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, the Outcasts. Uh, Mike Renner with us. So you had Bryce Young number one on your board. He ends up number one to Carolina. Is he in the best spot among the rookies that we're going to see start the season with C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson? Is he does he have the chance at uh, the the best chance, even though they're always slim for rookies, at immediate success compared to the others? I think he does just based off of who he was as a prospect. I, truly, I put him in a category close to guys like Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence as opposed to like, you know, Kyler Murray's or, or other guys who have gone number one overall at the quarterback position just because that's how well he played at Alabama. There were no duds. There was not a game throughout the process that I saw anyone point to and say, that's what I'm worried about with Bryce Young. It's just that he is an outlier with his size and that that's the one thing that maybe he's going to get injured more. Maybe he may not work the field in the NFL the way he did in college because of the size differences. But truly, like, I, there wasn't a lot to point to on tape that I got worried about. So that, I do think he's going to hit the ground running more so than any of the other guys. But, like, best situation, I, I think Anthony Richardson went to a really good spot for him to succeed with Shane Steichen there, what he did with Jalen Hurts, kind of tailoring that offense to his rushing ability. It, they could tailor it more than Florida ever did to his rushing ability. He really wasn't a threat in that offense the way he could be at the NFL level for such a special athlete. So I, I like what Indy has in place for him to succeed. Maybe not right away because he was obviously such a project, but in time. Yeah, and that's one thing Jalen Hurts had that Richardson did not. That's experience coming in. Played, started a lot more games at two different programs with Alabama and Oklahoma. Richardson doesn't have a lot of starts under his belt at Florida. How concerning is that as he gets ready for this rookie season? It's concerning, and I'm not going to sweep it under the rug, but it's good that he's getting already the starting reps, locked down as the starter, doesn't have to worry about anyone breathing down his neck, doesn't have a Trey Lance situation where Trey Lance needed those reps two years ago, and he's still not getting those reps. Anthony Richardson's going to get all he can you know, hope for to succeed. So if you're thinking about him being you know, a high-end passer as a rookie, I, I don't see it happening. He truly just is too inconsistent with his footwork, too inconsistent with his accuracy to just one year, you know, over the course of six months, clean all that up. But he's going to get to kind of this trial by fire. And you already saw it with that first preseason game, the picky throws on that RPO. I guarantee he's not going to throw a pick like that anytime else the rest of the season after learning from mistakes. Let's stay with the rookie quarterbacks a bit. CJ Stroud with Houston. I don't know how much you get into preseason strategy with young quarterbacks, Mike, but we saw the Texans start CJ Stroud Behind backup offensive tackles, it did not look good. We've seen Bryce Young get destroyed by the Jets' defense with a bad offensive line in front of him. Anthony Richardson sits. 
after playing in the first preseason game. How, what do you make of those different approaches and what we've seen in the preseason from these guys and how coaches treat that, I guess, the process of getting reps and experience with guys in preseason games? Yeah, I'm a little worried about C.J. Stroud because the pressure came and then it also came even when there was none. You know, like he was feeling it snap after snap after those first few hits on him. And that's the last thing you want to do for a rookie quarterback. I, I get that you want to get him the reps. But you want to get him reps in a situation to where he can feel comfortable. And, man, he has not looked comfortable whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little worried there. I hate to – I'm not going to call out my friend Bobby Sloak, former PFF or one of my coworkers who's now the OC for the Houston Texans. But they really have to do a better job here going forward of just making him feel comfortable. Because at Ohio State, I mean, the pockets he was working with, they're never going to exist like that in the NFL. But you can at least try to mimic it with some max pros and stuff like that to get him – a little more comfortable. I think they're going to have to do more of that his rookie season going forward. Last rookie quarterback question, at least from me. Will Levis with the Titans. The presumption was he's going to be the backup quarterback when they trade up to draft him in the second round. And then Malik Willis is an afterthought, and he's not going to factor into anything. Well, Will Levis got better in the offseason, and he doesn't look that bad. And Will uh, uh, Malik Willis said Will Levis has not taken the reins as the backup quarterback so far. Is that concerning if you're a Titans fan? I don't think it's particularly concerning. It's Everyone is different with how they transition to the NFL. Uh, he, had, he came in with uh, accuracy concerns, with basically just footwork concerns himself uh, that needed to be cleaned up. They just needed to be more consistent uh, and had a lot to learn. And he's a guy who, you know, hadn't played a ton of football himself in terms of drop-back passing reps. So... I think with Malik Willis, I'd be more encouraged by Malik's development than I am worried by Will Levis's development because he was a guy who some people were really high on. And in terms of pure tools, he's right up there, probably top 10 in the NFL in terms of you know the arm strength, the arm talent, the physical ability, what he can do with his legs. Like It is all there for him to be an elite guy. So to see the incremental changes you know, every year going forward, getting better, kind of like he did from Auburn to Liberty – I think that's really encouraging. And now it just gives you two options, right? I, I think if you're a Titans fan, uh, I'm just happy that I have two guys who are supremely physically gifted that are kind of going neck and neck and pushing each other every single day. Mike Renner with us in studio and Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, formerly uh, PFF Mike, now at Mike Renner underscores where you can follow him. Uh, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson. Not necessarily same team here, Mike, but do you have a feel for, you know what, these two guys, offense, defense, has a great shot of being instant impact, Pro Bowl, all pro status that we saw from, from those two now in New York. Yeah, I, I think Bijan Robinson, if he's not an all pro running back, I'll be surprised. It, it just truly because of how good he was as a prospect. I, I mean, just his tape at Texas was, in my opinion, like even better than like a Saquon Barkley in terms of NFL translatability. Saquon's a freak of nature athletically, but Bijan was running the way you need to run at the NFL level. And then he goes to an offensive line that was already you know, a top three run blocking line in the NFL with Arthur Smith, the m most run happy play caller in the NFL. Like he's going to get 300 carries. He's going to get 1500 yards and he's going to probably get a lot of targets out of the backfield as well. So I, I think Bijan, I'm fully expecting him to be that guy. And then what I've seen from Will Anderson already, mm. I think he should be in that mix. Now, now maybe, you know, edge rusher, there's a ton of talented guys putting him in that all pro conversation is very difficult at this point in time. But my Lord, like he, he has the complete skill set, the kind of movement skills at 6'5", 250 that, 
you know, look like wide receiver movement skills. They kind of like look like a Kyle Pitts, but flipped on the other side of the ball. So it's really only a matter of time before he joins that elite group and gets his all pros. It may not happen year one, but he'll be kind of in that mix. College football kicks off this weekend. We really get into it a week from Saturday. Uh, from your perspective in scouting last year, this year's draft class, noticing guys that will be eligible for next year, who comes to mind immediately? It's the two QBs. I have, you know, I love the 2021 quarterback class. That one, obviously, quarterbacks went one, two, three. I think the top two in this class are better a year out. You know, remember that was Fields, Lawrence, a year out. Everyone's like, Fields, Lawrence, Fields, Lawrence, Fields, Lawrence. I think May and Williams are a better duo than Fields, Lawrence. These guys, I watch Caleb Williams, and I don't think I've seen a guy as physically all-around gifted as a prospect as him since, you know, probably like an Andrew Luck. Like, there is just arm talent for days. He made the first half of Utah. He probably had six throws in one half of football that are more impressive than, you know, some of the quarterbacks that were drafted in this year's draft. He just is a special, special athlete. And then Drake May from North Carolina is such a just naturally gifted thrower of the football. He just has that innate feel. Reminds me a lot of Ben Roethlisberger in that he's just, you know, he'll pump here, he'll go there. He just knows how to maneuver defenses to get the matchups he wants. So those two quarterbacks, I know we've hyped these guys up kind of year out every single year saying they're going to be the next ones. If they don't go number one and number two in next year's draft, I will be absolutely floored. That's how good they are already. Is Joe Milton at Tennessee possibly the Anthony Richardson of this year's draft class quarterbacks? He very well could be because he's got a stronger arm than Anthony Richardson. I don't think I've seen an arm as strong as his, and I've only been doing this, what, eight, nine years now in terms of actually analyzing the NFL draft every single pick, and I haven't seen a guy put it 70-plus yards consistently on college tape. You know, like, he has multiple throws, and he hasn't even played a lot of football. Multiple throws that far down the football field. Now, Tennessee's offense – is going to do him no favors from an evaluation perspective. It's just going to basically show off that cannon 10 to 15 times a game. But the man can run. The man can sling it. If he just improves his accuracy to a degree that makes NFL evaluators happy, it would not surprise me if he works his way in the first-round conversation. And final thing on the quarterbacks as we watch college. Is Riley Leonard the real deal? And if he is, could Clemson be in trouble September 4th on that Monday night? Duke plays Clemson. And if Leonard's number three on your list, I can't wait to watch that game. I don't put him number three on my list right okay. now. I, I am a big fan of his game, though. I, I think he's still, you know, he was only a sophomore last year. Like, I think he still has some growing to do as a quarterback. I don't think he's as physically gifted as any of the three other quarterbacks we've talked about. But he is really, really advanced as a passer for a guy who's only a true sophomore. If we see that continue, uh, and obviously very mobile with his legs as well, another guy that I put in the – very well could be in the first-round mix. I really like this upcoming quarterback class. But is Clemson in trouble? The rest of Duke's roster just isn't quite there. They got Green Barton right. at left tackle. Big fan of him. But it's still like a massive, massive mismatches elsewhere. It's, it's going to be like when Daniel Jones faced Clemson. Like He didn't have places to throw back in the day. So I, I, don't, I don't know if Riley Leonard will have much working there against Clemson. want to get your take in the final minute here. So uh, it, just thinking about where we're headed in the future of, of college football, where we are. Is it difficult, more difficult, less, with all the movement with the portal? You get a better look at guys based on different schemes and where they're going or less? I think it's better because guys bump up divisions, right? You get a lot of guys who were playing, whether it was FCS in the past, whether it was group of five. Now if they have one or two good years, they're all of a sudden in the SEC. They're in the Big Ten. They're playing 
better dudes. You don't get as many guys who are four or five years uh, at schools that you know just aren't facing top competition. So I think it's kind of a rising tide thing. You're consolidating power a little bit, and it's obviously not great for the fans of those teams that are losing these guys. But from an evaluation perspective, it just means better tape, better players against better players is always better for your evaluations. One word answer. Will you grow the hair back at any point? Never. Okay, good. It's good to know. It was I'll, good while it lasted, yeah. though. My friend <laughs> was, was not that good. Uh, always uh, feel free to stop by. Uh, we, we appreciate the in-studio visit here, but come hang anytime here at the studio at 6 of Peabody. We'd love to. Right down the block. I'll be here all we'll the time. We'll get beers no. after next time. We'll do better <laughs> yeah, planning we'll next cheers. time when you join us towards the end of the show. Can't wait for the work on the messenger as well. Follow Mike on social at Mike Renner underscore. Coming up, a rare ejection in baseball that an umpire had, had enough of. We've got to see it next on Hot Mike. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us and what's been a fast show. If you missed portions of it, hope you'll find it on demand, YouTube channel, and more podcasts available at outkick.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find our podcast too. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow here on Outkick each day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Chat, so Northwestern, uh, there's another group. We had this last week of uh, a number of, some, what was it, 800 roughly? Former athletes, current athletes, others that have signed this open letter. There's another open letter that has been written and released where you have 86 ex-athletes, um, and a number of them are former teammates of Pat Fitzgerald, where the open letter last week that we were referencing was more... Uh, we're against hazing, we're against but hazing, the but culture overall is good, we, and it was great yeah, for us. We loved our time there. Yeah. This one is more pointed at leadership. This open letter, this time, openly criticizes President Michael Schill and AD Derek Gregg. With Schill, the comments go on to say, you know, the, 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 there's a graph about there's no due process for Fitzgerald. There is no leadership from the very top down, and it specifically mentions President Schill. And then from Gregg, they point out the, his comments immediately on the shirts that the coaches and some of the players were wearing of you know the, the number 51 uh it, us against the world yeah. uh mentality and saying they immediately said it was you know offensive and uh it couldn't believe that they would do that meanwhile you have the interim head coach braun who is actually saying hey uh i support their freedom of speech if they feel that way whatever who am i to say they can't wear that so the open letter mentions all that i bring this up now because again i i want to i can't help but think there is an internal investigation external investigation that was set up by the university internally they asked for this and now they have they're getting feedback the, the feedback that they told us that would be in this report they were they were going to dig on the coaches the ad's the university former players they were going to get current players opinions their opinions are now in open letters and you've got the former attorney general leading this and surveying what is and what is not right within the Northwestern program. This is just another example of I don't know how Schill or Gregg survived this, given the fact that they've asked for this open, honest opinion that they've told us will be released in a report from the former attorney general to the public, unlike the six-month report that ultimately led to Pat Fitzgerald getting fired. 
Yeah, Shill may survive this. I don't see any way Derek Gregg does. When these internal investigations are over, considering he's the guy who hired Jim Foster, the baseball coach, he was overseeing Pat Fitzgerald in the football program. I just well, but think about this though. There's no way. Uh, the, I'm surprised the, he's still the there. Li- I, yeah, the line from Michael Shill has been, "Oh, Gregg just got here. He's not a part of fostering the culture. He made one poor hire." But if it then turns into three months later, Gregg not holding a position that Shill backed publicly and double down on, what message does that say about leadership from the president of the university that came from Oregon? Like, if Greg had nothing to do with because he just got there, Shill did too, and all of a sudden, you know, he made the hire here just like Greg made the hire for the baseball coach. You see what I'm saying? Like, it goes, it goes further on the branch and up the tree to me, uh, and I wonder how much digging is actually going on versus whoever asked the AG to do the digging knows that they're not going to dig up too much on them. Yeah, and you're, you're right. They could be in a little protective Who knows? bubble and some bubble wrap in this investigation, and the orders could be, you know, go get go get someone else. I always thought about this with, um, uh, was it Loretta Lynch that was doing the, the NFL investigation that was part of it? Uh, I'll think of it in a moment. We'll find that. Well, you talking about the Watson? Y- there was, no, there was a different one. Anyway, anytime, and this goes to the, the NFL did this, anyone, when you were paid by someone to find something, I, I think human nature usually leads you to not find things on the people paying you, if that makes sense. Like, if you're paid to do an internal investigation, but you're getting big checks by the NFL. Oh, you're thinking of the Snyder and the Mary Jo White. No, it was one before that. I, I forget exactly what they were okay. looking into. But my, my thought is always... Well, of course they didn't find all that much wrongdoing with the people paying them to do the investigation, whether it be NFL, Northwestern, anyone yeah. else. So I'm always a bit skeptical. If it's not just completely outside counsel, and you want someone with, with you know, complete impartiality, no bias. I also don't want you know, a, a Michigan AG coming in that's a Wolverines right. fan looking at it. And that was also mentioned But I in want someone letter. who doesn't care at all looking into it, and I, I just don't think you can be that when you're getting a big paycheck by Northwestern University. So I, I, I will be shocked if they come back and say, they need to burn the whole thing down. Michael Schill is an idiot. Uh, Greg is an idiot. Get rid of all those guys. Because they're the ones cutting the check. It was Loretta Lynch. You crushed it. Yeah. Uh, former AG. That's uh, the one I was thinking about. For racial discrimination. That's the suit. one. That is the one that I was thinking the whole time. Even if there was racial discrimination, there's no way she's going to find that when it's the league paying her to do the investigation. Or, But it's, it depends on what you're tasked to find. In, in what is described on the investigation at Northwestern, they're looking into does the athletic program and the values match up with the academic values of Northwestern? And they're also looking at it from a structure of, okay, if this happens again under the, the athletic program's watch, under the umbrella, how do we correct it in a much better way in the moment instead of letting this foster and become culture instead of a one incident situation it's what does what does the power want you know that's yeah. what i look at with the what? nfl the loretta lynch thing right the last thing they want you're is asked for, to write a paper but what's what are you writing they don't on? they don't want roger goodell commissioning a report and an investigation that comes back and says your owners are racist right. when the owners run the league this is not an instance of speaking truth to power this is 
power making sure they're looking like they're taking all the necessary steps, but also making sure that they are protected in some way. Who's the power in this? Do, does the board that runs Northwestern really care about Michael Schill, or do they not? Do they care if they find that leadership there is terrible and it makes the whole university look bad, or do they not because they could just make Schill and Greg the scapegoat? I don't know what the goal is. I'm just simply saying there's some level of bias when you're getting paid by one group to investigate that group. I, I tend to agree. I, I hope I'm pleasantly and I hope we don't surprised get that, but. with this. Uh, a terrible story um, that affects a, a, a player here locally in Caleb Farley, who's one of the cornerbacks for the Tennessee Titans, former first-round pick, and has been injured, played at Virginia Tech, and is on PUP. Chad, headlines this morning, where he was talking with authorities, with police, um, and those uh, first responders to a scene in North Carolina, and then details emerged about what exactly happened. Uh, a home exploded last night, and a home that was owned by Caleb Farley. His father, Robert, was killed in this explosion, and he, you know, the thoughts and prayers are with the Farley family, but Caleb immediately leaves, and you're thinking, what is he doing in North Carolina when camp's going on, even though he's on PUP? Like, Jonathan Taylor reports are he's going to go to Philly with the team. Maybe not now, but that was the report yesterday, and he's on PUP as well. Um, crazy, when you see the explosion of a home, Chad, you were saying that the authorities believe it could be a gas leak that could have led yeah, to all looked, this? Again, that's just speculation. It was a natural gas home, and the report I read, the story cited a, a, a similar explosion with similar rubble from the explosion that happened in a town a few miles away a year ago. And um, when you see the photos of the home... It looks like a home, bomb went off. There's a partial wall that's still standing from this well, That's home, it. And that's it. The rest is just debris. It, it's, it's, it's very sad. And crazy to think about um, what could have caused it, but it's yeah, it does not look good. And I, I just based on the the draft storyline for Caleb, uh, I do know his father meant a ton to him in his life, and the whole story and process of getting him to where he is, uh, first round pick at corner in the NFL. Uh, and there was another, there was a 25 year old in the home that escaped and survived, and uh, doesn't seem to be anything life-threatening um, other than a, what, a concussion. Yeah, it was seen walking away from it. Yeah, that's crazy. But we'll, we'll have to wait to get more information about it. That, that's just what one story was speculating. We, we don't know, but it's a tragedy nonetheless. Yeah. Chad, uh, uh, an ejection that I don't think I've ever seen. Maybe some of our viewers or listeners have seen this, maybe not in person, but in the past. But So the organ players, you've got the uh, – those that like to have fun with, you know, now at bat and you kind of make up a song that kind of rhymes with a last name or whatever. Apparently the umpire in the minors is not having it, uh, having a bad night. And, well, on, on the keys you'll hear three blind mice. And, well, you didn't hear it for much longer. Get that! <laughs> oh, Harper just got tossed. Oh. I mean, this this uh, umpire becomes a parent who grounds uh, the the entire uh, press box is grounded 
game day operations grounded. You can no longer uh, have sound for the rest of the night, according to the umpire. Who knew that you had this power as the home plate umpire? I mean, look, as a home plate, uh, as an umpire and official, you can do whatever you want. Turn you off the kick, scoreboard. Go home. You can kick fans out. Get out of there. You can, I guess you could end the game because of insubordination from the organist. Turn off the lights. If you want. Uh, the, the response reminded me of uh, Chris Farley's bus driver in Billy Madison, where he says, <laughs> I'll turn this damn bus around pretty quick and in your precious little field trip. I mean, he just ended the in-house PA for the rest of the game. Turn the sound off. Turn the sound off. You're no out of here. No sound the rest of the game. <laughs> That's great. I mean, if you're, if you're, on, uh, if, if you're playing, don't you immediately come up with another song you can play to deny him his well, request? Well, we've all reached that, that breaking point before. You know, that was just, we just happened to witness that umpire reach that point where, you know, you get to a point and you're just done. My freshman basketball coach, we had a nice, fun little Sunday scrimmage planned. We were going to have fun. The winner was going to get like a treat or something or like a lunch paid for yeah, afterward. Yeah. And two nice of the guys treat. on my team got in a fight in the scrimmage. And my coach, who like had a backwards hat, he was like playing with us, just went and unplugged the scoreboard and said, well, that ends it. That practice is over. You guys can't even have any fun out here. We're getting in fights and walked right out. It was similar to that. So it happens. Everybody reaches their breaking point. Umpire ruining all the fun for the fans too. Yeah. No more sound. No more sound. I may get mad enough in here one day where I just call the show off mid-show. You know what? You know what? No more show. Uh, hour and 45 minutes. I don't care. It's over. Unplug those cameras. Unplug plug the microphones. Colin, GTFO, everyone out of the studio. <laughs> turn the lights off. Sixth and Peabody, close your doors. Shut it down. <laughs> everyone here one is done. One tap remains open. No more moonshine to be served. No <laughs> beer being poured out of the spigots. Nothing. We're all done here. That could happen. There's only two days out of you the year this know. place is closed. We've it's never, not when we want it to be. We've never really seen my breaking point yet, so we don't know Chad, when we're going to get there. Uh, we will not see it either as you coach softball because you've sent out uh, some parameters you would you would prefer parents follow. I sent uh, there's a list of four Here's with coach some Withrow. other instructions. But rule number four, and, and take this for all youth sports parents out there. Uh, my message to my team's parents was, don't ever say a word to an umpire, opposing player, or coach. If you disagree with a call or something the other team is doing, please refrain from addressing anyone that is not me. If there is something egregious taking place and you want to tell me about it, please come to the side of the dugout and do so. Otherwise, let the coaches address umpires or other coaches. It's important we set the standard for how we want our girls to act and play. This is rule number four, but it's also my most important rule. That was my message to my team. Tomorrow, I'll get into lessons one, one two, and three that I shared with them. Hydration uh, is key. Lesson one starts with, here's a, here's a tease for you. The first sentence for lesson one is, this isn't T-ball, <laughs> period. And then I go into a, time a lesson. <laughs> then I go into a lesson. Know when to throw to second and when to throw home. So, well, it wasn't quite that. Well, we've got some that aren't going to know that. Please right write off the bat, your but. child's name. On the Gatorade bottle. But this is, uh, you know, in case there's some issue with a parent and the league gets on to me, I want to be able to refer back to this message I sent every parent and say, this is what I tell them every single season before we start. Chad, your thoughts Doesn't on today's show? Crushed it. Didn't, didn't get mad and have to turn it off midway yeah. through. Another That's one. always good. Another one. Uh, we're back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern. Hope you'll join us each weekday afternoon right here. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow across the Outkick Network.